0: today is part three of three of a message entitled More Than Words. And we're talking about the impact of what we say and the power that is contained within the tongue. And as we get started again this morning, I've got some carefully selected quotes that I want to give to you. And some of these are sharing biblical principles, others are just wisdom in general. And a couple of these, I think, are a little bit funny At least on my side, they're funny. So you might disagree, but that's okay. All right, here's the first of those. Josh Billings said, the best time for you to hold your tongue is the time you feel you must say something or bust. That's good advice. In fact, he's not only just talking about be careful what you say. He like pinpointed one of those major moments like, when you're on the edge and the words are about to come out and you're about to bust in suspense, like that's the moment you want to hold your tongue. Charles Swindoll said, we need to think of our tongue as a messenger that runs errands for our heart. Our words reveal our character. Man, that is so in line with what we've been studying right here out of James chapter 3. The imagery of Our tongue being a messenger for the heart. That is strong, strong imagery. Uh, The next three quotes are anonymous, but they contain great insight. Here's the first one Don't mix bad words with your bad mood. You'll have many opportunities to change your mood, but you'll never get an opportunity to take back what you said. That's gold. What incredible focus and insight, wonderful perspective. Here's the next one. Your ears should already know what your mouth is about to say. Don't surprise them. (laughs) As a guy who has surprised my ears a couple of times, I understand. That is not a good feeling. And here's the last one. Never let your tongue get your teeth knocked out. That is truth for the ages right there. Okay, our our words matter, and we've spent the last couple of weeks going through James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and we've been unpacking this one big truth. And here's that big truth again. What we say reveals who we are, the direction we take, the impact we make, the one we trust, as well as the clarity of our witness. And there's five major pieces to that statement. It speaks of character, direction, impact, trust and clarity that is everything we say says something about our character is it saying that we are mature or immature that we are wise are we foolish are we saved or are we lost everything we say is saying something about our character also everything we say says something about the direction of our life our words blaze the trail that our life is going to follow It will either be a path that is blazed towards the holiness of God and a life that honors him, or it's going to be a path that is blazed towards pain and discomfort and problems for ourselves and everybody around us. Also, everything we say has an impact. Our tongue can be used for great good or for great evil. Everything we say reveals who we really trust. Do we trust in ourselves or do we trust in God? And finally, everything we say has an impact on the clarity of our gospel witness. I've asked this question several times. Are we making it easier or harder for people to believe the gospel based on what's coming out of our mouth? So we're going to reread James chapter 3. We're going to start second part of verse number 5 all the way through the end of verse number 12. But as we do, just know this is part 3 of 3 of the message, More Than Words. Let's look at what the text says. James chapter 3, second part of verse 5 and following. How great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. And it is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. For with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Let's pray. Father, guide us through your word. Lord, may you give us ears to hear today and may your spirit clearly communicate what we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. The tongue is linked to the heart. Matthew chapter 12. When the heart is right, our words are right. When the heart is corrupt, our words will also give us away. While verse number one of chapter three specifically addresses teachers of the Bible, the big truth that we're unwrapping for this entire section also covers teachers as well. But when addressing teachers, we found that teachers of Scripture have a greater responsibility and will receive a stricter judgment. Uh, To sin with the tongue in private with a couple of friends is bad enough. To sin with the tongue in public among a crowd is immeasurably worse. There's more people who are impacted. The damage can go further and faster. We find that from that idea of teachers being under a stricter judgment, we began to unpack our big truth. The first thing we found is what we say reveals who we are. That was out of verse number two. The key to understanding James's argument about the tongue, it is found in the word perfect. In this context, perfect is used of something that is complete or mature. So whenever James is saying if somebody does not stumble with the tongue, they're perfect, he's saying if somebody does not stumble, it's a sign of maturity. There is growth in Christ. Our tongue will reveal our character. Mature, maturing, immature, foolish, wise, saved, lost, it's going to come out in the tongue. The second piece we found is what we say reveals the direction we take. That was found in verses 3 through 5. Now, James gave two illustrations of how the tongue directs the course of a person's life. The horse and a bridle, as well as a ship and its rudder. A horse that cannot be controlled cannot be directed. A ship that cannot be steered is a liability to everyone involved. In both cases, James is saying the tongue, even though it is small, it has the ability to direct and to control a person's life. That's where we ended the last time. Here's the new information. Let's pick up with what we find in second part of verse number five. Here's the the idea we're unpacking. What we say reveals the impact we make what we say reveals the impact we make. This is what it says, verses five and six. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Now, the two former illustrations that James just gave, that of horses as well as ships. Those are directed and they are controlled by small bits and small rudders. Directed and controlled. Directed and controlled. Now, in this illustration, he talks about a forest fire that has no direction and is out of control because of a small flame. That same tongue can direct or it can destroy. It can help or it can hurt. It can be Attempted to be controlled by us or it can be controlled by God. Either way you want to look at it, our tongue is going to make an impact. Now, in this context, James is speaking specifically about negative impact. He he wants the readers to understand the destructive potential that is found in the tongue. And a fire graphically depicts the destructive potential of the tongue. Thousands of acres can be burned thousands of structures can be lost thousands of lives can be lost because of a single flame unfortunately we've been reading about that exact example with the, the fires that happened in Maui because of a, a small flame they found that now there's 114 people who have lost their life and there's another 1300 that are still missing With only 40% of the search area that is complete, this is already the largest fire in US history since 1918. 1,800 homes and structures have been burned to the ground. Thousands of acres have been lost. And while the, the focus, the specific cause of the fire is still under investigation, there is mounting evidence for the fact that one of the down power lines created a flame that started the fire. There's a, a bystander who happened to catch video of this power line down and flames shooting off because of it. Here's what we find. One spark, one flame can bring incredible destruction. Now, I, I want you to think about the destructive power of fire for just a moment. Fire is a unique destroyer. Fire has the capacity to reproduce itself, to burn indefinitely, to get bigger and bigger and bigger as long as it has fuel to burn and oxygen to sustain combustion. It can just keep going from there. So I've got a lighter in my hands this morning. I, I, I keep lighters around. It's for candles, just in case you're wondering. But I'm going to see if I can get this to to light up. But we got a lighter. Notice how there is a flame, small flame, that's coming out the top that is controlled. Something about the size of a couple of postage stamps. And what James is saying is something that is this small can consume this entire building. It can destroy city blocks. It can destroy houses because fire has the ability to reproduce itself and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, if you're wondering, like, why is that such a big thing? Because that's not true of everything that destroys. For example, water can also destroy. There's floods that destroy. But water does not have the capacity to increase itself. So, for example, if I have my little water bottle, which I bring up here every single week, if I got my little water bottle and I spill water on top of my Bible or on top of my iPad, what comes out, when it's out, it's done. It can destroy what's sitting under it, but once it's out, it's done. That's not the same with fire. Once it's out, it's just getting started. Once it's out, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It expands to more and more areas. Fire reproduces itself. And that's the connection that James is making. He says, your tongue, the words that come out, it is like a flame. It has the ability to keep on going, causing destruction beyond it. What we find is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. It says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, where there's no gossiper, where there's no slanderer, contention quiets down. Okay, the only way to kill the fire is to cut the fuel. Okay, how do we cut the fuel of destructive speech? We stop participating in gossip, in slander, in lying, in backbiting, in degrading speech. And when I say we stop participating in, here's what I mean by that. It includes starting it, listening to it, spreading it, and allowing it. Here's a good statement. Gossip ends when it hits the ears of a wise person. Gossip ends when it hits the ears of a wise person. Now, continuing with this fire analogy that has already been brought up, verse number six presents four different parts or elements that make fire such a wonderful analogy for the destructive power of the tongue. Notice these statements. He talks about the fact that tongue is the very world of iniquity. Uh, In in this context, world is not of earth or the universe. It's speaking of a system. Uh, It is a system of iniquity. It's a system of evil, rebellion, lawlessness, every form of sin. The tongue, he's saying, is a part of that system. But then it goes beyond just a part of the system, and he says the tongue defiles the entire body. That, that system may be out there, and you might say, okay, that's just one part of my life, but what he's saying is what starts with the tongue doesn't end with the tongue. It will also impact the mind. It also impacts your steps. It impacts your obedience. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your heart. Every part of that, it, it spreads out from there, but then it goes beyond that. He said the tongue sets the course of our life on fire. And that's not the good fire. Like somebody saying, that person's on fire. I'm talking like bad fire, like blowing it up. Here's what he means by that. A physical fire, it has destructive elements that are a part of it, the same as our speech does of us. It's not just a part of our tongue. It also impacts the whole of who we are. But it doesn't stop with the whole of who we are today. It also impacts the future of our life tomorrow. It sets on fire the course of your life. (laughs) Think of it like this. Our words follow us. And in the days of social media, our words will follow us forever. (laughs) You don't get over it. Now, Now, why would I bring that up? Let's just give one analogy of how our words can set the course of your life on fire. You all do know that companies will scour the social media accounts of potential employees before they hire them. Why are they scouring those accounts? Because they want to find out What did this person say? What did they post? What do they stand for? Is there anything about this person's life that would be an embarrassment to the company? So somebody's drunk post from 2019, their online rant against their former employer back in 2020, their off-color joke or their poorly thought out hashtag or that suggestive picture from 2022 can impact their hireability in 2023. Now somebody might say, But it's my account. I can post whatever I want. You can. You can. But let's also be very clear. It's their company. It's their job. And it's their reputation on the line if they hire you. They could do what they want as well. I'm not trying to be mean or ugly in this. I'm just trying to say... There are people who they get looked over sometimes for something like a job because of something that was put in motion three, four, five years ago on social media. When he says it can set on fire the course of your life, that's happening to this very day. Here's the fourth of those. The tongue is continually set on fire by hell. The present active form of this verb indicates the continuing state of what's happening with our tongue. Uh, The word hell, it means valley of Hinnom. Uh, It was a deep gorge southwest of Jerusalem. It was where trash and the bodies of dead animals as well as executed criminals were dumped and they were constantly burned. Uh, That location had been one that was used in Canaanite worship as they would sacrifice their children to the pagan god Molech. When King Josiah forbade that practice, that ground, that area was then seen as is unclean. It became a garbage dump where all the filth of Jerusalem was taken to be burned. So because the fire burned constantly and maggots were everywhere, that was the imagery that Jesus used of Gehenna, that fire of the eternal, never-ending torment of hell. He says in Mark chapter 9, 43 and 44, he talks about where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's what that word is referring to. The very fact that he says the tongue is set on fire by hell indicates that our tongue can be used by Satan to accomplish the purposes of hell. What is Satan's purposes? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Mature believers recognize the destructive power in their tongue, and they bring it into submission to Christ. As a result of that, they're constantly on guard and they submit their speech to God. Here's the next piece. It goes fast. What we say reveals the one we trust. This is found in verses seven and eight. It said, for every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. Can you tame your tongue? Nope. I cannot tame mine. You cannot tame yours. Doesn't matter about how long you've been walking with Jesus. Doesn't matter about your denominational preference. Scripture's clear. No one can tame the tongue. Then it says, it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Now, now here's the main point. Don't get distracted by all the birds and reptiles and the fish and all of those things. Here's the main point that he is saying. People cannot tame their tongue, but God can. If you think you can do it, you're, you're mistaken in this. The tongue is represented in verses 7 and 8 as wild and undisciplined and irresponsible and irrepressible and savage. There's a primitiveness that comes with the tongue Uh, to show our inability to tame the tongue. We have a number of animals that are represented even on the screen right now. He says that that the human race has been able to tame all sorts of animals. And just think about that for a moment. From the wildest animals, like lions and tigers or hawks, to the other animals, such as the smartest ones, like maybe apes or dolphins, the fastest animals, like cheetahs, or the most powerful animals, like elephants, or the most elusive animals, like hawks or snakes. He says, we've been able to tame those things. But if you think you can tame your tongue, you're mistaken. He, he uses a, this word restless in verse number 8. It goes well beyond the idea of somebody having a restless night of sleep. Like they were moving, they were squirming around. Here's the word picture that comes with this. It describes a wild animal fighting fiercely against the restraints of its captivity. Did you, did you get that in relation to the tongue? It's like the tongue is behind your teeth. And it's like it's fighting to get out. Your your tongue is behind your best intentions. It's fighting to get out. Your tongue is still under the submission to Christ, but it's fighting to get out. There's a restlessness, and it wants to come out and inflict deadly poison, according to what the text says. It's important that we recognize, who are we to trust If you see that there's a problem with your tongue and you say, starting tomorrow, I'll do better, you're on the wrong path. No one can tame the tongue. It has to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he has to be the one to do it. Here's the next part. What we say reveals the clarity of our witness. What we say reveals the clarity of our witness. This is found in verses 9 through 12. Now, let's kind of set it up like this. I've asked the question multiple times. Are we making it easier or harder for people to believe the gospel based upon what we say? Now, if you'll remember, the very first part of this letter was very personal in nature. It was between the individual and God. But God's work in us is never intended to stay with us. Eventually, what is personal goes public. At some point, God will live his will, his mission, his desires through us. Now, to effectively live on mission with God, for God to effectively use us, the world needs to see something that is different and desirable in the life of the believer. This conversation, talking about our speech, it's more than about just us. It's more than about that moment, It's more than about a specific conversation that went off the rails. Our speech has the ability to hurt another person's understanding of the gospel. There are people who are hurting and need help. There are people who are struggling and they need to see stability. There are people who are hopeless and they need to know that if there is a God that he can do something in the life of a person who submitted to him. And whenever that person comes in contact with a believer, it might be that that believer is the only connection that lost person has to God in that moment. They might not know anything else about God. They might not know anything about the word. They might have never walked into a church in their life. The only thing they know is this person says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're the only one I know. And when our words come out, and at one moment it's praising God, and the next moment we're cursing people. He's saying it's impacting that witness. And even he goes as far as to say, brethren, this ought not to be so. This is not helping anything. In fact, it doesn't represent you well. It doesn't represent God well. It doesn't help the other person. It's helping no one. A life of hypocrisy is the death gargle to somebody who desires to be a strong witness for Christ. There should be no place in a Christian's life for duplicitous speech. When God transformed us, he gave us the capacity for new redeemed speech that honors him and is lived in accordance with Scripture. Verse number 11, James explains this truth using three different illustrations. First, he rhetorically says, Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? The obvious answer is no, of course not. The same spring doesn't have two types of water coming out. it. It's one type. So then in verse number 12, he asks, Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Again, it's a rhetorical question. It's like, no, of course not. It's against the nature of the tree to produce a fruit that is not after its own kind. Then he emphatically states, Nor can salt water produce fresh. No rational person would try to argue to the contrary of what he just said. No rational person. But Christians will argue the irrational all day long. To help with this, I'm going to retrieve my little cart from back here. Some of you didn't even know I had a cart back here. It's hiding. It's under this little tablecloth. So I've got something I wanna mix up for you all, and uh, so I'm gonna go behind the tablecloth for a moment. This is not a magic trick that is going on, so um, I just thought I would let you all know. So talk amongst yourselves for just a moment. We got some things we need to do over here, just, it's okay, it's okay. I got a little something going on, it's gonna be special, you're gonna like it. Okay, and by the way, I'm not mixing drinks for people, I can see some of you, listen. Nah, nah, come on with it. Okay, y'all, again, it's okay. Y'all can talk. I'm tempted to play peekaboo behind this thing and just kind of like, how y'all doing? But that's okay. So it's coming along. I'm just seeing how uncomfortable I can make everybody other than myself right now. If I had some Jeopardy music, it would be even better. There you go. Thank you. Please feel free to fill in the gaps right now. That's nice. All right. All right. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. And by the way, I could have done this without having to uh, sit behind a cart the whole time, but I think there's something powerful about a visual illustration. So that's what we're going to go with this morning. All right. Almost there. So. Hey, how are y'all doing again? (laughs) So let's say you've got some guests that come over to your house. And they've been there for a few moments. And as a good host, you want to get them a drink. And and you ask, can I get you a glass of water? And they say, that would be wonderful. And you go to your sink and you pour a nice, beautiful, crystal clear glass of water. And you hand it to the first one. You say, ah, that's nice. Nice. And then you ask the next person, would you like a glass of water? And they're like, sure, Hey, how about you? Yes. So then you come out and you have these two glasses. They're a little murky, they're a little murky, they got some issues going on with them. And then you ask the next one, hey, would you like a glass of water? As a matter of fact, I would. So you hand them this one. It's a different level of murky, but it's still murky nonetheless. So you just kind of line that up for people. And then you go over here and right afterwards you ask another one. They say, yes, I'd like one. And you give them this one. It's crystal clear. It's beautiful. It looks great. That person's thanking the Lord at that moment. And then you go and you ask some other people and they say, sure. And you get them two glasses like this. It's darker than all the other ones. And then you finish and there's one more person and they say, yes, I'd like some. And you give them a glass of water and it looks like this. It's beautiful and clear and pure. So stop there. If your sink were producing water like this is it not reasonable to assume something is wrong with your plumbing (laughs) does that make sense something's wrong in fact i would hope i would hope the moment water like this starts coming out your sink I would hope you would start apologizing to your guests and saying, hey, I am so sorry. I got something else. Like, I I cannot serve this to you. Does that make sense? That same thing, though, notice the way Christians respond on this. Christians can come to church, and they can praise God with their lips at 930. Then they walk right out of the service, and they slander two brothers out in the atrium. Then they show back up in a connect group, and they're like, did you hear what happened to sister so-and-so? And they start sharing some bad stuff there. But then somebody says, do you have a passage? Oh, I got a word from the word this morning. This is a good one right here. And then right afterwards, they're walking outside to the parking lot, and they tear down somebody else on the way to the parking lot. And then afterwards, they have a lunch, and they say, thank you, Lord, for the food that I'm about to receive. And then you ask that same believer... How's your walk with the Lord? Fine. I'm doing good. No, you're not. Here's the thing. We can clearly see this if you're talking about physical water coming out the sink. But notice the way we will spin our circumstances. We will say stuff like this, like, even if it's bad, like, man, you should have seen it when it started, At one point, I never got any clean glasses out of that sink. I've been working on the plumbing in my house for years. It's gotten a whole lot better than what it used to be. And and we now, and then, here's another thing we do. We're like, have you been over to so-and-so's house? Theirs is worse than mine. You know what's happening? We are looking, saying, this is what I could do, and somehow we are comparing ourselves to other believers as opposed to the standard of God's word. When God's word clearly says, fresh and bitter water do not come from the same fountain. What I I want you to see in this is not people walking away in shame. What I want you to see in this illustration is the fact that if we recognize that there's two types of speech coming, it should not lead to any type of apathy. It should lead to dependence upon God. It should lead to brokenness before God. It should register in our mind that something is not right to the point we submit back before God again. That's the point that is being made here. Our speech is going to give us away and you say well Paul it's just my life no it's not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ what you say reflects upon him so take the same illustration let's say you serve this up to some guests at your house and you're like man you should have seen it before I started working on the pipes it was worse than that they're like, but I got a good friend who's been helping me. He's a plumber. He's been giving me some tips. Do you want his number? Is, Would you be okay with that number? And yet the same thing is happening where Christians are saying, God changed my life. Can I tell you about him? And the world's like, if that's the best he has to offer, I'll be okay myself. The clarity of our gospel witness is being impacted by our speech. So as we conclude, I want to give you questions for reflection. Questions for reflection. Ask God to help you honestly answer these questions before him. And and when you do, say, God, what's my next step? Here's the first. Am I concerned about and continually submitting my speech to God? There should be a concern in the heart of every believer that if we're not careful, our speech will be used to the enemy in order to destroy and to bring down. Next question. Can I be trusted with another person's reputation? Next question. Am I starting listening to and or spreading gossip? Gossip ends when it hits the ears of a wise person. A closely related question is Am I disguising my desire for gossip as a prayer request? Because that happens a lot too. We'll say, I'm not gonna talk bad about anyone, but if you would, pray for so and so. He's back on the sauce. Pray for, pray for Sister So and so. Her family's falling apart. Like, we go back and forth. In these things. Here's the next one. Am I guilty of flattery? Did you know flattery is just the opposite of gossip? Gossip is saying behind a person's back what you would never say to their face. And flattery is saying to their face what you would never say behind their back. The next one. Is Satan using me to bring division, disunity, and destruction The tongue is set on fire by hell. Proverbs 17, 9, it says, He who repeats a matter separates the best of friends. Did you catch the word repeats? Not he who starts the matter, but just he who even repeats it separates the best of friends. The next one, Is Satan using me to be his voice for criticism? The next one, Are my words truthful, honest, and edifying? Next one. Do I build people up or tear people down with my words? Next one. Am I excusing my speech because of my hurt? Next one. If the last month of my conversations were recorded and shown in public. Would God be represented well through my life? And the final one, what is God leading me to do now? If God brings about any point of conviction, if God says this is an area in your life, the next question should be, Lord, I recognize that. What is my next step? from here. Allow the Spirit of God to guide you in that. I'm gonna ask you, if you would, to bow with me for prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. We have spent three weeks talking about the tongue, three weeks addressing a member of the body that according to scripture is full of evil and set on fire by hell. My, my prayer in this has been that there would be an awareness that God would bring to each of us, that we would recognize places where our, our tongue is causing disruption and problems. So if God has been bringing conviction in your heart, I cannot encourage you enough to follow the promptings of the Spirit of God. I've heard from people in the last couple of weeks that as God has been dealing with them, they, they felt... God was saying, make it right with this person, and they would contact that person to make it right, and then they let me know how much of a freedom there is and how encouraging it was. There is freedom in obedience to God's word. The issue is, do we see a concern, and are we willing to bring it before God? So I'm gonna have a word of prayer. We will have a final song of invitation. I'm simply encouraging people to respond as the Spirit of God is prompting them. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this church that in the last couple of weeks, the, the crowds have not gotten smaller in the hard teachings. They've actually gotten bigger. God, thank you for that. But Lord, we, we pray that it wouldn't just stop with our attendance, but it would move into obedience with our lives. So Lord, we ask at this time that your spirit would move in our hearts, that we would walk in obedience with what you desire. And God, we will be grateful for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? There's gonna be pastors and some of the pastor's wives that will be at the front. There'll be counselors at the front. Might be just you just wanna come and talk to somebody or pray with someone. Whatever it might be, I'm just gonna encourage you to respond as the Spirit leads.